This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I are joined by Lindsay Berra, the eldest granddaughter of Hall of Famer Yogi Berra. Lindsay is currently a writer for MLB.com, so with the season in full swing, she is always at a different ballpark. But we were able to grab her for just a brief phone chat where we discussed what it was like to grow up with a 10-time World Series champion. On to the show. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a wonderful day for baseball. I am Manish Jane, and sitting next to me, as always, is Mr. Anthony Rapp. Greetings. Our guest today is an MLB.com correspondent, a former senior writer for ESPN Magazine, a board member of the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center, and the oldest granddaughter of Yogi and, uh, I'm sorry, what is your grandmother's name? Grammy Carmen. Carmen Berra. But today... Her only credit that matters is that she's just a fan of baseball in general. Joining us in the clubhouse today, Lindsay Barra. That's the, that's the most exuberant intro you've ever had, right, Lindsay? The most I'm insanely excited. We've been trying to get you on the podcast for a year now. And for the first time, just so our listeners know, this is the first time in our illustrious history that we've had to uh, do this via phone. Unfortunately, Lindsay was not able to join us in studio, but I just wanted to get you on the podcast so badly. So thank you so much for carving out uh, even about 20, 30 minutes out of your insanely busy schedule. Thank you very much for having me. So have you have you done this sort of thing before, like podcast? Because you know you you work in sports media, obviously. Do you uh, have you have you sat down and chatted about your love of sports or baseball in general, oh. like in, in a sort of general way before? Is anything like this? Yeah, for sure. Yes. All right. Well, we're not that innovative. So, <laughs> so um, but I, you know, before off the off the recording, we were just when we were first like introducing ourselves to you over the phone. You did mention that you grew up a Yankees fan for probably obvious reasons, I would assume most people would assume since, uh, you know, your, your lineage and you, I mean, were you at the ballpark a lot? Were you in the clubhouse? Were you in, you know, hanging around the games? Were you old enough to be? So when I was a young kid, my grandfather was still with the Yankees and he was fired for the last time, what, in like 1984. So, you know, he was fired and hired and fired and hired. That was what they did in the early 80s. Um, so I I was uh, six when he was fired by the Yankees for the final time. <laughs> uh, but I used to go to the games with my uh, grandparents, my dad, uh, my brother. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm sitting at my desk right here. And my favorite picture of me and my grandfather is him hugging me over the old tan concrete dugout wall at Yankee Stadium before they did the renovation. And the funny story that my grandmother used to tell people is that I, as a child, refused to eat hot dogs. I thought they were disgusting. And that was all you could eat at a ballpark in those days. So before we would go to games, my grandmother, who is a farm girl from Missouri, would fry up a batch of fried chicken and bring it in a picnic basket to the <laughs> So I would have something to eat. So 
it, it was so long ago that a they only had hot dogs and b they didn't arrest you for trying to bring in your own. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, yeah. that is so fantastic. So no, I, no, no sushi then. No sushi. No, 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 no sushi. No truffle and fries. Yeah. That, um, <laughs> After that, my grandfather was with the Astros until 1992 when I was about 15. And we used to go down there a lot. And um, my favorite thing about the Astros was running around on that super squishy field at the Astrodome. Oh, yeah. When you ran, the field helped you. I used to like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that so, is fantastic. So that was, and the Astros, yeah, they were obviously still national. They were National League then. So yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. So a uh, real, I mean, I feel like the important question is, do you still have an aversion to hot dogs or, or can you consume the national food? So when I was uh, a teenager, I would eat them, but only cooked by my grandfather on the grill at their house because he would burn the heck out of them. And, I, <laughs> um, and like occasionally I will eat a hot dog, but my cousin's husband worked in a hot dog factory for a long time and he told me some stories about the vats of meat. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> avoid them but you can get like organic hot dogs and such so you know it's organic chicken feet and 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 cow lips and stuff so you know. <laughs> so all right so so you grew up a fan of the yankees but now you've kind of you know I, there's so much that, that i want to talk to you about but let's just kind of go through your lineage of of you know starting out as a yankee fan kind of and then branching out into just kind of as you said off the air becoming a fan of just baseball in general yeah so I, I, again, so much of the way I look at baseball is, has been was shaped by both my grandparents. Um, my grandfather, for starters, was the most practical person. I mean, you can tell by the yogiisms. He only saw things in black and white. There were no shades of gray. So if you didn't win, it was because you you didn't play well enough to win and you deserve to lose and you better figure out what you did wrong and come back tomorrow because there's always another game right and you can't be harping on the one before so that made for for pretty practical fandom like you have all these crazy yankee fans or crazy fans of any team who get super upset when their team loses but and, and you know they don't want to go to work the next day and they're mean to their wives and they you know kick their dogs whatever it is that they do when their team loses <laughs> And my grandfather used to say to people, like, do you think Derek Jeter gets upset when you don't do well at your job? Like, That's funny. It just, he was just really practical. So you didn't really get super upset when the Yankees lost because they didn't play well and, and, and oh, well, that's what happens. So it kind of takes the edge off the fandom to begin with, right? And then, you know, we always watched, but, you know, if they lost, okay, we'll watch again tomorrow. Um, hmm. And it, it really, that really was helpful for me as an athlete too, I played division one college softball and all that. And, and, you know, yeah, I was bummed when we lost, but I was more about trying to figure out what we needed to do better the next day. Then I became a writer at ESPN. And when you really get to see the inner workings of some of these teams, you're like, I'm not cheering for you. You're dumb. <laughs> That's funny. You know what? I got to say, so I used to actually, I used to work for ESPN myself and, um, the reason right now why I'm a crazy baseball fan and I'm no longer a fan of the NFL, NHL, NBA, et cetera, is I, I just had one too many bad experiences in NFL, NHL, and, and NBA locker rooms. Uh, uh, they're all wonderful sports for their own reasons, but I'm with you. Like The more time you kind of spend with a lot of these, these, these guys in, in the clubhouses, in the locker rooms, it yeah, you, you kind of get disillusioned kind of fast, but luckily... Weird. And, and I covered hockey at ESPN for 13 years. Hockey was my main sport. And it, it, same kind of thing there. But what, what does happen, I find, is that you end up becoming, you end up rooting for 
guys that you yep. really like with good backstories. So like you might be watching a game and there might be a guy on each team that you really like. And if both guys go three for four, like you're happy and you don't really care who wins. Like that's what you end up rooting for. You, you want, you want to see the nice people. finish. <laughs> I feel like I don't have exactly that myself because I don't know these players, but fantasy baseball has done a little bit of that for me, you know, that yeah. I can, I can watch any game and, and sort of be, you know, follow narratives of different players, you know, and be, in, be interested in that level. Yeah. So, so Lindsay, when you were a kid, you, you know, you mentioned playing uh, Division one softball. D- did you play baseball as well? Like is a little league and, and th- did you play, or is it pretty much just softball? Um, I mean, I played baseball with like the boys in the neighborhood, but I was lucky to live in a, a place where there were tons of organized sports for girls from that perspective. But I played hockey with boys since I was five because we had no girls hockey programs. So I played soccer. Where did you grow up? Uh, Jersey, North okay. Jersey. Okay. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. And then I played, I played, I was the captain of the boys varsity hockey team in high school and I played men's club hockey through college too. Wow. Uh, so yeah, we did, we did a lot of stuff. And, and um, obviously your family was very supportive of, of your hockey love as opposed to, you know, wanting you to maybe go into, into the stickball persuasion. Well, so my mother wanted me to be a figure skater. That wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I'm old enough that people actually played three different sports as opposed to picking one year right? round. I, so that. I played, I played soccer in the fall and hockey in the winter and softball in the spring and the summer. I did. I was in a hockey league um, like one night a week all year round, but it was just one night a week. Um, and it was actually my grandfather who got me into hockey because John McMullen was his best friend. John was the owner of the Houston Astros. But John also brought the Colorado Rockies to New Jersey, the team that became the Devils in 1982. And my grandfather started taking me to hockey games. I was five. And, you know, it, it went on from there. So grandpa was definitely supportive of the hockey because he was a big fan. I did not know that. That is really <laughs> amazing. I didn't know that, that, that he had that connection to, to hockey. Yep. There's you, also, if you Google, there's some pretty funny pictures of my grandfather uh, in the off season skating around with the St. Louis Flyers. Um, in, <laughs> wow, that is. I mean, look, I gotta say, I mean, I have to say, I think I said it to you the first time that I met you, uh, um, actually at Saber Day here in, in, in New York. But I'm, I'm sure you've heard it a million times. But I mean, your your, your grandfather was just, I mean. Look, I'm, I'm born and raised in, in Michigan, so obviously I, I was born to hate the Yankees, and I have to hate the Yankees with every fiber of my being, but never in a million, like, he was just one of the sweetest, kindest, I never got a chance to work with him personally, but for my friends who did, said that he just was never in a bad mood around them, and was always just the kindest, sweetest, most amazing guy, so I, mean, I just have to get that out there just because, yeah, he, he was amazing. He, he really was, and, and what I always tell people is that I, the the guy that you saw is the same guy that we got. There were no errors with him. There was no act when he was out in public. Like he was the same guy with everyone. Um, and that was kind of cool. And he was wonderful. And I was very, very lucky to have my grandfather until my late thirties and be able to have that kind of adult relationship with him that a lot of people don't get the chance to have with a grandparent. I was going to say something about Detroit though. He, uh, when they played the Tigers, uh, Casey Stengel used to get mad at him all the time because he would show up to the ballpark late because he had been out um, fishing really early with the um, pitching staff. 
<laughs> the pitching staff of the Tigers or the pitching oh, staff of the Yankees? Yeah. I always wondered why why Grandpa hit them so well, and they always Grandpa always they, they the players used to joke because he spent the whole morning fishing with them. Yeah, that's anyway. hilarious. I love. Oh, that is fantastic. I, I don't want this whole thing to be about about uh, Yogi, just because I do want to hear so much more about your life. But I do want to know uh, at Saber Day, you had mentioned a couple of stories about um, your dad. Uh, and Jackie Robinson and kind of how he looked at integration of baseball and how he kind of, um, uh, you know, saw black players coming to the league and kind of his views on, on that. If you, if you wouldn't mind kind of talking a little bit about, uh, about that. I was talking about this at the, at the museum this morning. Um, I, I think it's funny because I, I, when people you asked for my grandfather's views on black players, he didn't really care that they were black players. He cared whether or not they could hit, you know, he didn't, you know, in the twenties and the thirties, when my grandfather was growing up on the Hill in St. Louis, immigrants, the Italians were, were really not treated very well. And I think people forget that there can be racism against a white segment of society as well. And my grandfather kind of grew up in that and didn't like it. And I think kind of just, I don't even think he made the decision, but it just wasn't in him to marginalize any, any other person. So when he saw Jackie, he just saw a fast guy on third base that he had to really be, you know, worried about. And <laughs> Jackie came in um, that, you know, grandpa, you know, he obviously wasn't dumb. He knew what was happening in the world and, and could hear the things that people were yelling at Jackie from the stands. And grandpa, you know, went over and, and, and introduced himself to Jackie and they would talk after games and they, they had a friendship that lasted, you know, until Jackie died in 1972. And, uh, Jackie's widow, Rachel was at my grandfather's 90th birthday party. Um, you know, just, a, it was a year before he passed away and, uh, you know, so that you're talking about like a seven decade friendship there, um, that had nothing to do with Jackie being black or grandpa being white, but everything to do with the things that they had in common, which was their love of their families, their desire to be professional athletes. And, and you know, the fact that they ended up in the same place at the same time and could become friends, you know? We're just going to take a brief break so that I can tell you how to get in touch with Anthony or me. You can follow us on Twitter at ClubhousePod. Visit our website, clubhousepodcast.com, for extensive links and information about some of the baseball moments we discussed on the show. There are also photos from our cross-country road trip for you to peruse at your leisure. We love hearing from our listeners and getting you involved with the discussion, so please email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite baseball stories, your favorite baseball films, why your team or ballpark is so special, or honestly, just if you want to say hello. If you are a new listener to the Clubhouse Podcast, welcome. For more great baseball conversations, take a look at our archives, like our chat with film and television actor Joey Slotnick. In this episode, Joey relives the memory of being in attendance for the infamous Steve Bartman game at Wrigley Field. So incredibly exciting. And I remember people around me, you know, when it got to it, it was like five more outs. I heard, I heard five more outs, five more outs. And they were saying it out loud. And I thought Don't to myself, I thought to myself, what do you, what do you, please, please be quiet. Oh Don't say anything. God. And then, and then this thing happened. And of course there were, there's no replay. Uh-huh. You don't see a replay, but there was this, 
you know, off to like in front of me and just to the so left. You could see it. Oh yeah, my! Yeah. And and you just kind of didn't know. You know, I mean, like everyone stood up when because the, when, you thought Moises was going to catch it, and then then you know, of course, a little up, upset by it and kind of running oh. around. And then, but you didn't know, and so people, of course, around you had headphones on. You kind of looked here, but it was everyone was standing up, and there was a buzz, and you weren't quite sure what was going on. And now back to our chat with Lindsay Barrow. Did he, was he willing to, not willing, was he eager and open to sharing all sorts of stories about his many years of playing and all the success? Or did he sort of just like want it to be kind of just the, you know, the life that he lived and just talk about the the current things that are like were happening in your life? You know what I mean? What was he? Uh, he was willing to talk about anything. He didn't often bring it up. If you asked him a specific question about something, sure, he'd tell you the story. He didn't talk a lot about winning, like the humility was was always there. He told more stories from the perspective of like having fun with his friends, Mickey and Whitey and Moose and Hank. They were his buddies and these were all the things they got to do together, you know? Yeah. Uh, but no, he was super interested in everything that was going on with us. Um, he would call me after, even even when he was managing with Houston and, or, or coaching with Houston, excuse me, he would check in and see how my games were going. What was I doing in school? Um, if I had a road trip when I was at Carolina, he'd want to know how it went, where I went, what did I eat. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I was at ESPN, he was a big sports fan in general. So he would want to know what stories I was working on, who I'd met, where I was going. Um, yeah, he, he was very interested in everything that was going on. Well, I think what's fascinating just is that, so I'm, uh, oh God, how, how old am I now? I'm 33, 32, 33. <laughs> It'll be 40 in October. Crazy. Hey, wait, October what? We've all got October birthdays. What are you, October? The 14th. I'm October 4th, and you are? 26th. So we are yeah. right there. We're right there. We're all yeah. playoff babies. I love yeah. it. Libras. I was born during, <laughs> so I was born, my mom's water broke two months early. I was supposed to be a December baby. And I was born um, during, or before the game when Reggie hit the three home runs. And oh, then- wow. <laughs> That's- your life is just, oh, it's I, in the I blood. love your life. That is fantastic. From Her the, water from... broke on the airplane home from Kansas City. She wasn't supposed to be flying. She was oh with my, my dad, and she flew home on the team plane. And this is, again, 40 years ago. They held off your contractions by giving you a bottle of red wine a day. <laughs> wow. So they did that, and they a week and then she had me on the 14th <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal oh i absolutely love that but what i was going to say is that it, what's interesting is that so i'm obviously a, a super crazy ridiculous baseball nerd and so yogi i knew yogi as the ball player and as the man who just couldn't stop winning world series when i was you know younger but for a lot of my friends it's all about kind of the malapropisms if you if you yeah. will and 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 whatnot and so is it is is that something that I can imagine for you as a kid, you know, as a middle schooler or as a young kid who still sees her grandfather as kind of the wacky, silly grandpa, as opposed to this kind of legend. Is that, would he kind of have fun with you and your friends with kind of some of his, his wackiness or was it more just, was that more of a public persona for him? I, I'm, I'm telling you, there was no difference between the public and the private and he didn't, wasn't trying to have fun with anyone. It was just the way he talked. He didn't say them because he knew he was saying them. It was literally just his speech pattern and the way he thought. And so I mean, the- has that filtered down to other family members? Are there other kind of uh, <laughs> folks that, that talk that way in kind of a unique cadence and, and, and style? Um, I mean, everybody says like dumb things every now and then, like, you know, the water's cold until you get wet or um, <laughs> my brother Christopher used to say, I eat apples, but not fruit. 
Um, <laughs> it's silly funny. things, right? I double checked it six times. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, do you have a favorite? I mean, obviously, the, yeah. It's stuff that we all say, and then we'll be like, "Oh, you said one," you know. <laughs> That's funny. Do you have a favorite of Yogi's that he ever said, or or just kind of all of them? Um, my favorites are the sad ones, like the kind of the kind of nostalgic ones. The future ain't what it used to be. Um, trying to think, what what are the other ones that I like? Uh, I don't know. He said one about my grandmother. We have a good time together, even when we're not together. I've always liked that. Oh, that's very sweet. That's beautiful. But I oh. mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a nice existential thought. People don't give him credit for sort of being smart. Oh, no, that's a thing. Like I, I always, every single one of his sayings, they sound silly on the surface, but if you actually think about what he's saying, are, are profound. Yeah, they're like Zen koans. They really are. No, they're fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't think he's dumb at all. I think they're fantastic. The so, other one, like, is if the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. I yeah. Like that that yeah, I love. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, you grew up in this in this family with this, you know, this pedigree of of the sort of, you know, in some ways, ancient history of the game and the way that the game sort of used to be played. And you've, you've, you've now grown up through all the decades of the changes in the steroid era. And, and, and now sort of, it seems to be the cleanest it's been in a long time. I mean, um, did you, do you see, are you, have you been aware of those sort of cultural shifts within the game and, you know, all the free agency? I mean, did, and was he, did he ever talk about any of that stuff with you of, of watching the, the sort of changing landscape of it? Um, we talked about it a little bit. I, I think the steroid thing was something he could never really wrap his brain around. He, he didn't understand it. I, I think from a, for a lot of reasons, because like strength and conditioning wasn't even a part of the game when he was there and he just didn't understand the need to be that big and strong because, you know, <laughs> they always said like, you know, when, when he played, they didn't have pitching coaches. They didn't have hitting coaches. They didn't have an, anything like that. And when people ask grandpa, well, then how did you do it? And he goes, you know what? The guys who figured it out, figured it out. And the guys who didn't, didn't. And I think like when you look at like steroids and all that stuff through that lens, it's just, it's kind of hard to, to, be, to understand what the heck these guys are doing. And he never liked to talk about it. It made him uncomfortable, but any kind of cheating also made sure. him. So uh, I'm sorry to go back. There's, there's like no pitching coaches, meaning like how did pitchers literally, who taught them how to do it. Did anyone, they just, it was all self-taught? Yeah, pretty much. I did not know that. Teams didn't have, I mean, they, they learned in the yard with their fathers when they were kids and they had stuff when they got to the big leagues and they, you know, tinkered with it with their friends and whatnot. And sure, the managers would help, but teams didn't have specific pitching coaches now. Wow. I don't think, I think that was like the 70s when that started to happen. Got it. That's, wow. So... I mean, unfortunately, you know, we're going to be running short on time pretty soon here. I'd like to be able to talk to you for, for days on end. But uh, uh, normally, you know, we, we like to kind of ask our guests about kind of early memories of, of going to the ballpark. And so I was wondering if you could kind of touch on, regardless of whether they have anything to do with, with Yogi or not, but just your personal experience of, of heading out to the ballpark and kind of fun moments or memorable moments. They don't have to be big World Series moments or anything like that, but just kind of moments that you can remember being like, oh, this is this is why I love this game so much. This is why this sport means so much to me. It's funny. I don't have like specific playing moments. It was just it was such a like a just something we did together as a as a family kind of thing. And I just liked running out of the tunnel in Yankee Stadium with all that. 
That was really fun. I used to love Dave Winfield with the flip up sunglasses. Um, you know, and I just, my grandfather, we would sit in the seats next to first base and he wouldn't let me sit there if I didn't have a glove on my hand because it was kind of a hot zone. So I used to go there, little little spalding and sit there and and try to catch foul balls and whatnot. Um, but it was something I just, I did with my dad. My dad would take my brother and me and my grandmother used to come along, like I said, with the fried chicken and it was just sort of like day. That's really what I remember. Well, so one of the things I'm struck by is that, you know, all the decades that he worked in this game, that it didn't seem to invade your family in a way that made you, your family, I don't know, um, resent or be overwhelmed by all of that weight of history and all that weight of, you know, uh, of the, of the sort of the, the monolithic nature of it, that you guys could still together go as a family and still gain enjoyment from watching this game. That strikes me. You know what I mean? Cause I, I wonder if that's the case all the time. I, I don't, you know what? It's so much a, a part of who my grandfather was and he was such a good dude. And like I said, like not, he wasn't a different person with baseball or in public than he was in, in our family. And I think that that was helpful. My grandmother always jokes that they stayed married for so long because he was away for half of it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like it was, it was, I think people can be resentful, but it's funny. So two days ago was the three year anniversary of when my grandmother passed away. And, you know, Facebook gives you those memories. I read this thing that I had written the day after she died. And one of the things that was so amazing about my grandmother was watching, you know, she, she and my grandfather had this amazing relationship but I watching her love somebody who was so loved by so many other people and people who had never even met him, who love him. And, and legitimately, when they say, I loved your grandfather, I never met him. They mean they loved my grandfather yeah. and watching her just share like no, no problem. She had no problem sharing him with all of these other people who also loved him. It was a pretty amazing thing to see and if my grandmother wasn't resenting it there was no way to <laughs> they, yeah wow they, they really sound you know i'll tell you this i i one of the things i like about the old timers is um i had an opportunity to to hang out and spend some time with ralph branca before he mm. passed and and seeing him and his wife uh, i actually saw him serenade his wife uh in, in a room full of people which was one of the just i mean i i took every ounce of strength in my body not to just start weeping uncontrollably yeah. like it was so awesome to see kind of the the strength because yeah you think about these guys lives and i'm not sure if your grandmother traveled with him because i know now today a lot of players wives will be able to travel with them or be on the road with them but i'm not sure how common that was back in the day and and so just to know how you know strong these relationships are when look these guys i mean anthony knows this i mean anthony lives the wacky life of of crazy travel on the road as well where it's hard to maintain relationships when you're gone for half of half the year Mm -hmm. um my grandmother didn't travel a lot during the season until the postseason but you know especially when my when my dad and my uncles were in school but she did always spend the whole spring training down there with them and actually my dad and my uncles would go to school in florida for that period oh how cool is that that's awesome dad talks about like being in uh in florida and having sailing as a gym class Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in the Midwest. Nope. Didn't have sailing in the Midwest. Nope. Um, so, uh, is there a, a family, a brotherhood, a sisterhood of, of the progeny of legends? Like, do you hang out with other, like, does everybody know each other? I mean, cause baseball is a pretty small incestuous world to begin with. So it's, um, 
It's funny that you say that. I keep saying we have to start a Facebook group. Um, <laughs> I'm really good friends with, with uh, Amy Carnall, who's Bobby Richardson's granddaughter, and Brandon Guidry, who's um, uh, Ron Guidry's son. Yeah. Um, the Mercers are, 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 and the Munsons were, were close with them, the Sottlemyers. Um, you know, yes, like the Randolphs are, are very close. I'm friends with all the Randolph daughter, the girls who all live kind of close to me here, and I see them fairly often. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Whitey Ford's grandson, uh, young Eddie. So there's young Eddie, who's the son, and then youngest Eddie, who's the grandson. And my dad's friend with young Eddie, and I'm friends with youngest Eddie. That's um, funny. Yeah, so there, yes, there's definitely like a, a group of us that all kind of keep in touch and hang out. Yeah, we got to hook you up. We had uh, Martha Jill Black on the podcast uh, a couple years ago. I don't know when it was, a while ago. I don't know if you know Martha, but she is Joe Black's daughter. Uh, he was the first black pitcher to uh, play, uh, to pitch a game in the World Series for the Dodgers back in 52, I think. Uh, but she works for the White Sox now, and she's, she's, uh, yeah, I, 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 once again, hearing stories about old timers, I think that's my favorite part of any day of my life. I, I love listening to old school baseball stories. It's really fun. Thank you again for taking your time out yeah. of your crazy busy schedule to, yeah, to yeah, chat no with us. Um, you, me, you want me to tell you at all about what I do in real life? That, was, please, I, yeah. that was honestly what I was going to end with, actually. <laughs> I was going to ask you to kind of tell me a little bit about what, what uh, about your life. Cause we've, like I said, I mean, I could talk to you for, for hours and unfortunately so much of this was about Yogi, but I, I'd love to hear more about what, what you're working on as well. <laughs> Um, so I'm a features writer on MLB.com now, and my job is I go out and I do features for the website and then typically go on whatever show at MLB Network will have me and talk about them. Um, I was in Arizona last week. I'm working on something. I, I just did a story on thoracic outlet syndrome. They, I, I'm into like the fitness and mechanics and stuff. So every time anybody has a question about a surgery or an injury, they're like, get Lindsay to look into it. So I did a, a thing on uh, TOS, which is what Matt Harvey is coming back from. Um, and then I read a story coming out end of this week. Um, some of the teams are starting to throw their bullpens different ways, not the bullpen as in that group of pitchers, but the bullpen as in the, the exercise that pitchers do to get ready. Typically they've thrown every other day for years and now they're starting to kind of factor in a lot more rest and recovery and do them every third day. Um, and the Cubs and the Indians are two of the teams who have been doing that for a few years and their pitchers obviously did pretty well last year. Interesting. Right, I'm a right. Cubs fan, yeah, by the way. Right. I'm a Cubs yeah. fan. So, so yeah. anyway, that, that, that kind of stuff, it's fun. What are your thoughts on, on just kind of pitch counts and how we're, we're quote unquote, over using arms or under use? I mean, do you have kind of a theory on that? I really believe that pitch counts are kind of dumb because <laughs> they're, not, you know, it's, it's everybody is an individual and you can't put a, a pitching program that, you know, Clubs seem to have this one idea of what works. If you have 13 pitchers on your big league roster, you have 13 different body types, 13 different arm slots, 13 different release points, 30, 13 different metabolic systems, 13 different shoulder anatomies. It, they don't do anything the same. So why are they on the same program? That's what I don't necessarily understand. Um, innings limits, I think, are dumber than pitch counts because innings, they're just not created equal. You can throw two pitches in an inning or you could throw – 30 pitches an inning and it counts the same. So that's just sort of stupid. Um, but there's so much wearable tech and stuff out there. Like they should be monitoring fatigue with some sort of technology because some guys can could pitch 200 pitches and be fine. And some guys are done after 45 and, and th those differences should be taken into account. I knew I you, you, you have wisdom. You have wisdom. 
that's all. Well, unfortunately, we are going to have to wrap this up, uh, which, which uh, you know, uh, I'm very disappointed just because, like I said, I, I could talk to you for a long time. So we're just basically, we're going to have to find out a way to uh, have you back on. And we're I, it's, Honestly, if you guys are okay doing it with like this, I'll do it whenever you want. It's just when I, you know, I, I have so much going on with my grandfather's museum and then my, it's like having two jobs. So it's hard for me to run into the city. But if you're willing to do it on this, you know, funky FaceTime business, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I spent, I mean, for, for a little full disclosure to our, our fans out there, super producer Zach McNeese and I spent about an hour and a half yesterday trying to figure out, because we've never done this before, so we've been trying to, so now that we know how to do this setup, yes, I, I would love to have you on. I know you do have to go, but please, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't have you at least give a plug for the museum and explain what the museum is and how people can support it and, and, and whatnot. So the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center is on the campus of Montclair State University in Little Falls, New Jersey. It's just a couple miles from my house. Um, basically, we see about 20,000 school kids a year. Um, uh, we give them character education programs based on my grandfather's values of teamwork, leadership, sportsmanship, inclusion, integrity, you know, all of these things that my grandfather stood for. And we like to think of the museum as my grandfather's legacy and the continuation of, of those things. Um, we have our first annual Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center Awards Dinner coming up on May 12th, which would have been his 92nd birthday. Good God. Uh, <laughs> wow. but, um, there's all kinds of great things going on at the museum. We have a lot of kids programs. Um, you know, we have baseball and softball camps. Uh, we do book talks, all kinds of stuff. Uh, the museum website is www.yogibaramuseum.org. Um, and I always tell people if they're in the neighborhood and they want to reach out to me, I'm happy to meet you there and walk you through the museum. You can get me through my website at lindsaybarra.com. I'm terribly easy to find. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> But if I'm around, I'm always more than happy to come up and show people around. So, uh, yeah, yogibaramuseum.org. Check it out. Thank you. Thank you awesome. so very, very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Anthony. Yep. Thank you, Manish. <laughs> and we will see you next time here in the Clubhouse. The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, really anybody in your life, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.